Welcome to episode 167 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, author of What, When, Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Delay, Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jenstevens.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea, or even a glass of wine, (laughs) if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Hi friends, are you struggling to lose weight despite fasting clean? Maybe you're even making healthy food choices, fasting more, shortening your eating window, ramping up your exercise, and yet the weight won't budge? Well, we actually just found a major reason for why that may be. As it turns out, there are compounds in our environment called endocrine disruptors, meaning they mess with your hormones. And studies show that a lot of these endocrine disruptors are actually obesogens, meaning they literally make you gain weight. They also make it hard to lose weight. These toxic obesogens are naturally stored in fat, so when they enter your body, your body creates fat to store them in to protect you. Once they're in that fat, they then change the genes in your fat stores so that you are more likely to store more fat and less likely to burn it. They can also affect your insulin signaling and boost your appetite, so you want to eat more and store more fat. And most of us are actually exposed to these obesogenic endocrine disruptors daily in our skincare and makeup. That is actually one of the largest sources of these compounds. Yep, as it turns out, when you're washing your face, putting on makeup, using lotion, or even putting on sunscreen, you are likely putting one of up to 1,300 compounds banned in Europe for their toxicity and obesity causing potential. But they're completely fine for use in US skincare. When you put them on your skin, you're making it that much harder to burn fat and that much easier to store fat. So if you're struggling to lose weight, you definitely, definitely want to clean up your skincare ASAP. You can do that easily with a company called Beauty Counter. They make safe skincare and makeup products that are extensively tested to be free of endocrine disruptors, obesogens, and other toxic compounds. They are truly safe and supportive of your health. You can shop with us at melanieavalon.com slash beautycounter. And if you use that link, something really special and magical might happen after you place your first order. If you'd also like exclusive discounts, giveaways, and the latest on the science of skincare, definitely get on my clean beauty email list. That's at melanieavalon.com slash clean beauty. So are you fasting clean inside and out? Well, now you can. All right, now back to the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 167 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hi, everybody. How are you today, Jen? I am doing absolutely great. How about you? I am great now. (laughs) Yeah, I know there's a story you're going to tell, and I've been waiting to hear it because you were going to tell me on the podcast, but I know a little bit of it, but... I wanted her to hear it fresh (laughs) when I told her. So for listeners, I'll just tell the story. So about two weeks ago now, 
I don't know, maybe two weeks ago. I went out. I came back a few hours later and I came to my door. This makes you realize how the brain, when you're not expecting something, how you don't like put two and two together. So I opened the door and it was unlocked. And I was like, that's weird. I normally lock the door. And then I opened the door and you know how there can be like a molding, like a frame around a door, like a border. So part of that was on the ground. They had like pried open your door frame, the trim. The trim. Yeah, the trim. That's the word. The trim. It was on the ground. And I looked at it and I was like, that's wrong. My thought was like, it just fell off the wall. (laughs) How strange. (laughs) And then I looked in the middle of the den and one of my bags that I normally keep by the door was just like randomly on the ground. And I was like, that's strange. I just like dropped that in the middle of the floor and didn't realize. And then I looked over to my bathroom door, which I always keep open and it was closed. And I was like, that's weird. I was like, maybe maintenance came in and like did something. And then I looked up to where my big computer is and it was gone. (laughs) And I freaked out and I like backed out of the door so fast. It was like pounding my phone. But you know, when you like don't, when you mess up the code, it like locks you out. So it was like, emergency calls only and I was like yes emergency and I called 911 which I never done before it was funny though because they were like are you out of the apartment I was like yes and then they like walked me through the steps and everything I had put my purse on the counter and I was like can I get my purse and they were like yes you can and I was like are you sure I was like how do you know I can they were like yes you can but yeah so basically I got robbed and they took my large Mac computer, my laptop, my very large TV, my hard drive, and then like all the miscellaneous things that are attached to your computer. That is terrifying. I know. And because of quarantine, COVID situation, I mean, I needed a new computer because I mean, my whole work, everything is from the computer. So I needed a computer. Like I had two interviews that week for the podcast. So the closest Apple store open was in Birmingham, two hours away. So I had to drive to Birmingham the next day. And by the way, the one in Augusta is open. Oh, really? Yeah, I went into it the other day. I got a new iPad. How far is that from Atlanta? It's max of two and a half hours. Okay. Two, two hours, if depending on how you drive. I wonder if it just opened. It's possible. I went in there, I bought a new iPad the other day. You know, it was, you know, take your temperature, put on your mask, one person at a time. Yeah. Yeah. So you said, like, drive two hours, pick it up, drive back. And then it was a limit. So I actually had to drive back like that Thursday and get it, <laughs> return it and get a new one. But while it was really terrible, and I don't think I've ever cried that much in my life and just felt so awful. Have you been broken into before? Well, I've never been broken into as an adult in anywhere that I've lived. Now, when I was 10 years old, I remember my parents were divorced, and so I would spend the summer at my dad's or, you know, part of the summer at my dad's down here, and then I would go back home to Virginia. So we were, I was going to be flying out of Atlanta. So we were in Atlanta. Daddy and I went to see a Braves game, but I had had my 10th birthday while I was there for the summer. And so I had all of my birthday presents. I had like a big birthday party at a pool with all, you know, my my South Carolina friends because he lived in you know, just over the border in Aiken, South Carolina. And I mean, all my back to school clothes that we had shopped for, and we had it all in my luggage, and it was in the trunk of the car. And while we were at the Braves game, somebody 
broke into the trunk of the car and stole all my luggage. So it was like literally everything I owned as a 10-year-old, all my birthday presents. I mean, can you imagine? It was everything I got for my birthday, plus all my back-to-school clothes, gone. That's really sad. It was really sad. So that was it. But I mean, I still really, really, really remember that. It's what everybody's been saying when I was telling people. It's such a violating feeling. Like you just, especially when they came into your home. Oh, yeah. I can't imagine I would have, I can't imagine like being able to relax there. I like, I would want to move. I'm not kidding. It was really intense. But I'm actually, when it happened, I kept thinking like, you know, bad things happen and then, and, you know, good things come from it. And I was like, I really don't know what good is going to come from this. But actually, I could already say I actually think I am grateful it happened because I didn't have like the security system turned on or anything. And now I am so aware of the importance of security. So listeners, <laughs> I'm like a walking PSA for security now. Like I'll like, be at the grocery store. I'll be like, do you have security? <laughs> you might want to get it. <laughs> so I ordered Simply Safe. They're not a sponsor of the podcast, but it's like now there's a lot of like security systems where you don't have to commit to like, you know, installing a system that is tied to your apartment or tied to your house and you pay like a long contract. There's like Ring and Nest and Simply Safe where you basically build it yourself and you you buy the sensors that you want, you buy the cameras that you want, you buy the everything that you want and then you you set it up to fit your apartment and then you can pay for like monthly monitoring. It's great. I actually made a link for listeners because when you buy it, they give you like a friend offer. So if you go to MelanieAvalon.com slash safe, you get a free camera, which I actually, I got the free camera. But now I'm so grateful because, yes, they took all my electronics, which is like the entirety of my work. They didn't take your juve, right? They didn't. I know, I know everybody was like, did they take your juve? <laughs> they didn't know what it was. I was like, no, these were clearly not biohackers. <laughs> they did not know what that was. They're like, I don't know what this big thing is, but we're not taking that. Otherwise, that would have been the one thing they took. If they were biohackers, they would have been like, oh, my God, a juve. I know. My mom was like, did they take your sauna? I was like, no, they didn't. So now I'm really grateful because I have, I have the security. I'm going to be so secure moving forward. And then the overwhelming support I received because I told my Facebook group about it and they actually started a care fund for me, which was like the most, gen- I like want to start crying thinking about it. I don't know. Everybody was just so beautiful and generous and kind and supportive. So I feel like I learned so much. I'm making lifestyle changes that I think are very beneficial. I feel like I'm going to be telling every other else to be making these changes. So, and I did get all my stuff. I mean, I didn't get my stuff back, but I got new stuff. Oh, by the way, it's thundering here. So if anybody hears any thunder sounds, it just started thundering. Yeah. So anyway, thundering. I love thunder. So guess what, though? What? This relates to fasting, sort of. So I was tracking my laptop and my computer, and they weren't showing up. And then randomly, my computer showed up about 11 p.m., about a half hour away. So I called 911. I was like, it's there. Can we go get it? And they were like, well, you actually have to go there and then call 911. And I was like, okay. So I started driving there and I called my mom to tell her. She was like, Melanie, you can't. She's like, no, you can't. Do not go. <laughs> Do not go to your stolen good at 11 p.m. <laughs> so she freaked out. So I turned around and I went the next day and called 911 and had them meet me. And long story short, we did not find it, but... I was talking with the cop and the conversation came up of what do I do? And I said, I was a podcaster and what was it about? And I said, intermittent fasting. And he was like, oh, I've, I've tried intermittent fasting. He was like, I've tried the like 16, eight, 
I was like, yeah. And he was like, he was like, yeah, I watched this documentary with like some Asian guy. And I was like, yep, Dr. Fung. <laughs> so, yep, it's out there. I feel like it always comes up in conversation. Yeah, it came up. We had a guy come over today where when we bought this house, it has a deck on the back that's like past its prime. You know how wooden decks are and they get old and it's been painted over the years. And like one part of it, if if you stand there, your foot's going to go through. And the other part, like there's this bench and it's crashing. I mean, it's you know, it need, we knew it needed to be replaced when we bought the house, but we're going to add a screened porch. So the contractor came today and we were meeting with him and showing him what we wanted to do. And yesterday I had mentioned I couldn't talk right then because I was positive podcasting, but I would call him back afterwards. He's like, oh, what's your podcast about? And I told him intermittent fasting. He's like, oh, I just heard of that two days ago. And then he told me the name of one of his friends who was telling him about it. And I was like, oh, that's fun. Let me look and see if that person's in my group. And they were. (laughs) So his friend who's intermittent fasting is in the regular Delay Don't Deny group, which was really, really cool. You know, here I am in Augusta, and these are all Augusta people. So it makes sense that somebody in the Augusta intermittent fasting world would be more likely to be in our group. It's such a small world. Well, you know, we have in my groups, if you put them together, we hit 100,000 in the One Meal a Day group today, plus we have over 260,000 in Delay, Don't Deny, plus the advanced group is right at 25,000. So if you do all of that math, that's a third of a million people. That's crazy. More than a third of a million people. Anyway, it is, it is crazy. Once we get to half a million, I'm just going to lose my mind. <laughs> that's crazy yeah and it's growing really quickly right now which is interesting you know we've been noticing the membership requests and in December and January membership requests were crazy there was one week where we added 10,000 members around the new year that was like huge but then they really you know leveled off and then they were down very you know a lot, lot slower throughout the early days of the pandemic our members were growing very slowly but all of a sudden we're adding them at a really quick pace again so i wonder if that's a sign that people are you know getting back to their normal routine they've realized that hmm you know maybe my health habits weren't the best during the quarantine and they're coming back to intermittent fasting. So it's it's really exciting to see the interest building back up. Yeah, I love it. I think for my little baby group, which I love, which everybody should join, which I just changed the name to. I have, did I tell you that? I changed the name. No. I took out the word paleo because I felt like even though I consider paleo to be basically like whole foods, you know, no dairy, legumes. Well, I don't know. I felt like people who were like vegan or vegetarian and things like that saw paleo and thought it was not inclusive of that or thought it had to be keto or, you know, it just has like associations with it. So I took out that word. It's just IF biohackers, intermittent fasting plus real foods plus life. And then I added Melanie Avalon in parentheses so that people could search Melanie Avalon and it would come up. I think it's finally at the point now where Facebook is suggesting it to people. Because it's growing quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. But also, do you still consider yourself to be paleo like if you had to label what you eat would you say paleo yeah that's the ironic thing because i think paleo has taken on all of these connotations or associations which i still 100 percent identify with what i think paleo is which to me it's the foods we ate as paleolithic people which is meat vegetables fruits <laughs> so <laughs> yeah it's ironic i, I still like 100 percent identify with it but i don't think it is a good label now because I think people think other things. Okay. I was just curious. I'll just say it one more time. Listeners, get home security. Please, 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 please learn from my mistake. 
Oh, and you guys know I do a lot of research. I spent hours researching between Ring, Nest, and Simply Safe. And they all seem to be really good, but I did really like from all my research, Simply Safe. So melanieavalon.com slash Simply Safe to get that free camera, which I have. Well, good. We're in the Nest community, so. Oh, you have a Nest? Yeah. Do you like it? We love it. I love it. It's so nice to feel like safe. You know, I really do love it. Like, we also have a nest at our beach condo, so we can, you know, call it up there, too. So I can manage it from, you know, somewhere else. I can check to see if the door is locked from here. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, it really is. It is amazing. So, yeah, definitely everybody be safe. Figure out a way. And I tell you, I would have (laughs) moved. Maybe not. Maybe not. It's easier to say that than, you know, moving is hard. Well, but one thing is it happened and I was like, well, they're not going to come back right away. And then I learned because when you get broken into, then you start Googling, like, what do you not know about break-ins? And you like learn all the things. Apparently, people think that robbers don't often go back to the same location, but they often do. They're probably like, yeah, I saw a great juve in a sauna. I'm going to go back for those later when I have a truck. Yeah, they see what they didn't get. It said that oftentimes they'll feel more confident. They think if they did it once, they can do it again. But I think that might probably apply more to houses where they see like other ways that they could get in and stuff. Oh, and then what was more reassuring was apparently when they do come back, it's usually within the first one or two weeks. So I was like, oh. Well, I will say this. I will say the most scared I've ever, well, one of the most scared I've ever been was when my son Will's car was stolen. It was in, hmm, I don't know, 2018, maybe, 2017, 2018, somewhere around there. He was in high school. But they stole his car because he left the keys in it (laughs) down by the river while he was there for play practice in downtown Augusta and left the keys in it, left his wallet in the car. You know, he wasn't very bright at the time, right? They came along and stole his car. But not only did they have his car and his car keys, they also had his driver's license with his home address and our house key. Yeah, that's scary. I was terrified because the whole night I'm like, okay, someone has got our car and they know our address and they have our house key. I was so scared, but they found the car. Luckily, the police did a great job. They recovered it. They actually went out and found it within like two hours after it being reported as stolen, someone was actually driving it around the neighborhoods. It was like a 14-year-old kid and a whole carload full of teenage kids. Yeah. Everyone got out and ran except they caught one of them. But we got the keys back. We didn't get his wallet back. That was gone. But we got all the keys back, which was good. So no one had the house key. Thank goodness. But it was really scary. And you do feel violated. Yeah. They didn't take any of my cards or my wallet or anything because that was all with me. But my computer had all of my I mean, it had everything on it. So I still don't know if I'm hoping they just erased everything and wiped it clean to try to pawn it. But I don't know. Well, everybody stay safe. Yes. And get security. Yeah, I think I think having a security system is really important. Me too. All right. Shall we get started? Yes. Yes. All right. We have something from Tracy. And the subject is COVID recovery and IF. Tracy says, Dear Melanie and Jen, I write to you from the UK and hope that you and yours are well and keeping body and soul together at this challenging time. I joined the IF movement in January this year after yet another failed attempt to diet and lose weight. A friend of mine suggested I look up Jen's books initially, and then I joined the Facebook group and then found your brilliant podcast. I'm really enjoying learning about this way of life, and I'm reading your books and recommended scientific papers, too. 
Although my weight loss is slow and steady, my general health is improving, and I feel so much better with several non-scale victories. I have rediscovered my satiety signals, I am eating whole foods, and find the 24 window in the evening works best for me around family and my hospital shifts. My question is around recovery. I have recently had the COVID-19 virus, but fortunately it was a mild form and I wasn't hospitalized. I am now five weeks into my recovery and am feeling so much better. I still have inflammation in my sinuses, which I think the mask wearing for my entire shift at work contributes towards, and I still have breathlessness from time to time. I am building up my exercise again and have been told the after effects may take months to totally recover from. I have continued my IF routine throughout, and I'm convinced that this is helping my recovery. Have you read or heard of any science that would back this up? Thank you for your wonderful written work, your research, and your brilliant podcast. I am so relieved to have found IF and the continued positive support of yourselves and the whole IF community. Best wishes, Tracy. And I loved reading that because Tracy is one of the people I was just talking about that joined in that huge wave of January joiners. Oh, awesome. Yeah. You know, we had... A lot of people joining, so I'm glad she's doing well. Yeah, Tracy, we're very happy that you're on the recovery. I think you're the only person who has written to us who actually had COVID, I think. On the podcast, there are people in the groups, yes. I know of several in the groups. But directly to the podcast, at least. One thing about COVID, and this keeps coming up over and over in all of the podcasts I listen to, like Rob Wolf, Peter Atiyah, Ben Greenfield, Dave Asprey, there's all this conversation about how with COVID, there's not enough discussion in the like news media government side of things for how important our metabolic health and our immune system is. Well, there is around the immune system, but there's not as much talk about how supporting our metabolic health is really, really key for having a strong immune system and, you know, making yourself less susceptible to COVID and then also helping with recovery on the other side. I even heard recently there was a discussion, they were saying, you know, is COVID so bad right now because of the poor metabolic state and diabetes and all of these chronic health issues that we have. And so basically lifestyle and dietary practices that are going to support your metabolic health and your immune system are really, really great anyways, but especially at this time, whether or not you've had COVID and then if you have had COVID, I would say that anything you can do to support your your health, your overall inflammatory state would be great. And intermittent fasting really does do that. Post-COVID, I think intermittent fasting, and we're not doctors, obviously, but I think it can definitely be a really beneficial thing. And even pre-COVID, we have talked about this a little bit about, you know, should you do longer fast during this time? And that the consensus seems to be daily intermittent fasting is completely fine, if not great for you, but you might not want to be doing like a longer fast, which Jen, would you say like over 36 hours, over 48 hours? Well, it's hard to say. Dr. Jason Fung sent an email out to his email list early on. He felt like alternate daily fasting was probably fine. Again, you know, it's it's all conjecture. The people who are saying don't fast longer, the people who are, you know, Fung saying it's probably fine. Those are best guesses based on the, the scenario. We have a ton of people doing alternate daily fasting, though, continuing to do it. So, I mean, that's all anecdotal. I don't know. I, I feel like 
I think when you start moving past the alternate day fasting where you're going, you know, more than 42 hours and 48 hours and 40, you know, 72 hours, I think that's when you have more of like the healing crisis type experience, those longer fasts. I know Peter Atia, who is a big fan of longer fasts, like he does a five-day fast. I don't know how often he does it. Does he do it like once a month? He does it really often. And I don't know if he's updated since then, but at the beginning, he was suggesting not going over 36 hours. But Tracy is talking more about, you know, daily IF routine. Yes, I think it's a great thing. And if you just want to do 36, just to be on the safe side, if you're doing the alternate daily fasting protocol, you can certainly do that with the 36-12 approach. And, you know, if that makes you feel a little more confident. And just like for the brief science of why we know that when you're fasting, you're upregulating all of these genes that are just really, really supporting the health of the body, boosting your immune system, tackling metabolic health issues. So yeah, it's it's a wonderful thing. And for the inflammation in the sinuses, if you haven't tried serapeptase, that might be a thing to try. It's really great for clearing inflammation. We have information about that at ifpodcast.com slash serapeptase. So that's a proteolytic enzyme by the Japanese silkworm that breaks down residual proteins in your system. So it can really help with inflammation. It's it's not a brand. It's a thing. So there are a lot of brands. So if you go to that uh, that link, which we will put in the show notes at ifpodcast.com slash episode 167, you can get more information there. So, all right. Next question. This comes from Donna. The subject is emotional eating. And Donna says... What suggestions do you have for emotional eaters wanting to do intermittent fasting? I don't eat because I'm hungry. I eat because I'm sad, happy, or bored. I can eat a lot in a five or eight hour window. Thank you. That's a tough one because I think that every person is going to have their own challenges with that. And, you know, I have struggled with emotional eating here and there. I think every person probably has. Like if I'm, you know, if my husband and I are arguing, I might be like, well, I'm going to eat this now, you know, (laughs) because I'm grouchy and this is not working out and you'll just eat something you wouldn't have normally eaten. I think we all have those experiences. But if you're really struggling, I think I would try to see, is it happening all the time or every now and then? You know, if it's something you're going through every single day, if every single day you find that you're emotionally eating, you know, a five or eight hour window, maybe you need a shorter window. You know, maybe you would feel better if you had a three-hour window or a four-hour window, you know, think about that. It's hard for me to give a lot of advice about it because this is not something I personally struggle with other than the rare occasion, you know, like I said, that maybe during PMS or maybe if we're having, you know, we're arguing at that time, I might feel the need to, you know, you want to soothe yourself with food. But I don't know, Melanie, what do you think about that? This question was perfect timing. I'm not sure when this episode that we're recording right now airs, but I believe I should have just aired on the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast, my interview with Glenn Livingston. He's the author of Never Binge Again. And I was talking to him and... Perfect. We were talking about how the book is called Never Binge Again, but he was saying in retrospect, it should be called Never Overeat Again. He just called it that because it was to tackle his binge eating tendencies. But I recommend this book to everybody if you experience any sort of emotional eating, overeating, binge eating, anything where you feel like you're not in control of the food choices or what you're putting in your mouth. I also thought tapping might be a great suggestion to make for Donna. 
Yeah, yeah. We can circle back around to that before I lose my train of thought here. (laughs) So I was really excited, though, to tell you, Jen, about the episode. Listeners, please listen to it. It's incredible. So that episode will be at MelanieAvalon.com slash again. And so I was really excited because we talked at length about intermittent fasting because basically his protocol is he had an epiphany that because he's a psychologist and he had his own overeating emotional eating problem that was really bad and interfering with his life and he had an epiphany one day where he realized that well we talk about it at length in the episode but basically he realized that yes there could be emotional reasons behind why you overeat but solving them doesn't necessarily solve the overeating problem. So like you can have these emotions, you could turn to certain foods, you could figure out why that is through therapy, but like practically that doesn't necessarily materialize. And then also there's the fact that we might emotionally turn to foods because of the state we're in, but oftentimes the foods themselves are hijacking us, especially if they're like processed foods. And that's not an emotional thing. It's just literally eating this food. Brain chemistry kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like being brainwashed. So he came up with his plan, which actually aligns really well with intermittent fasting. But his plan is, you got to get his book, Never Binge Again. It's really short. It's hysterical. But it's basically where you create a food plan that is defined by nevers and always. So like, I will never do this. I will always do this. You identify that voice in your head that wants to eat the food, like that's saying, you know, when you're sad, it's like, I'm sad, I want to eat this food, or I'm happy, I should eat this food, I'm bored, let's eat this food. You ad- you identify it as the pig, you literally call it the pig, you just don't listen to the pig. And it's this really, really radical shift because it doesn't require you to think about like not eating things because you're sad or like think about why you're doing it or like stress about it because you literally just create a plan. And you stick to it. Like I said, it's really, really funny. But it was great because we talked intermittent fasting because he was saying that he's a huge fan of intermittent fasting. But he is saying in his practice that he finds intermittent fasting is wonderful and does really well with people. But that once people start intermittent fasting, he finds that if they fall off the wagon, so like if they stop intermittent fasting, that it's worse. So if they're like a binge eater and then they start an IF protocol and they're good, but then if they like stop IF, that the binging is actually worse than it was before. So stay consistent is what he's saying. Yeah. And what I was talking about him, because we talked about it for a really long time. And I think what the reason is, because I actually sort of like identify with this a little bit in the fact that before intermittent fasting, so when I was just eating all throughout the day, if I had been like, oh, I'm going to do a 12-hour window of eating, I could have done that. And then if I was like, oh, I could do an eight-hour window of eating, I could have done that. If I was like, if I slowly shortened it, I think I could have done it. Now that I always eat a one meal a day, and sorry, this is a little bit of a tangent from a question, but I wanted to get your thoughts on this, Jen. Now that I do one meal a day, the idea of lengthening my window, it's like, I can't. <laughs> so like if, if I wanted to do like a 16-8, for example, I would just want to eat for eight hours straight. I think it's kind of what Glenn was saying. Like, Is it because if your window is open, it's open? You're used to either it's on or off. You're eating or you're not eating. I get it. That's what we were talking about. It's like, I think that's what it is. I think it's that doing IF, if, especially if you're doing a shorter window, you start kind of this new circuitry where when you're eating, you're eating. And so it's harder to, I'm not trying to discourage people from doing IF at all. I'm just saying that it was a really interesting discussion to have and, I definitely encourage you to listen to the episode. But he was asking me, he was like, do you have suggestions for 
like my clients who want to do IF with emotional eating. And I was saying, well, I told them about the clean fast. <laughs> I was like, definitely tell them about that. And then we also had the, the dialogue of, in a way, is for some people intermittent fasting a way for them to engage in almost like binge eating type tendencies, but it allows them to, you know, eat all they want in this window at night and then actually be healthier and grow thinner from it. Sorry, that was a long tangent, but it really made me think about things. But Donna, for your question as to, you know, emotional eaters with intermittent fasting, I actually think intermittent fasting can be a great thing if you do take this sort of like this never binge again approach. So if you can stop seeing it as like an emotional thing, like emotions are fine. If you turn to food because you're sad or happy or bored, like that's okay. You do that. We acknowledge that. Okay. You say you can eat a lot in a five or eight hour window. If you read the book, it'll be easier to do this. And it has a lot of rules, but a lot of details. But what you could do is you could create a plan that you stick to. If you're worried that you're going to overeat in a five or eight hour window, and especially tied to emotional things, I would say maybe you make like a smaller window or you could do like a five hour window. Maybe make your rules where it doesn't allow for things that would be a problem in that window. So if you're worried you're going to overeat on, you know, like processed foods and things like that, you could have your food plan say like never, you know, have these processed foods. So I will eat, you know, all of the fruits and vegetables and meat and whole foods in this window. And that's fine. Even if you're sad or happy or bored, that's fine because it's in this window. And then like your never list would be like, when I'm fasting, I don't. And then every time you hear this voice come up, that's like, I'm sad. I want to eat. I don't know what you crave, but I want to eat, you know, chocolate. You acknowledge that as the pig and just no. The point is you don't have to have like an emotional war with yourself about it. You can just create a plan and stick to it. And I'm not doing the book justice. So I really recommend getting the book. But I really think for emotional eaters, it's one of the most freeing approaches because it doesn't require you to like drain yourself with stressing about the emotional component. It allows you to just deal with it. You remove yourself from that emotional component. That's gone. It's, this is no longer an emotional decision. And you just say no. And once you start doing it, you realize that you can do it and it kind of self-perpetuates itself. And it's funny because in the book, he uses all these examples of the pig, like the things that'll say like, you know, oh yes, we can, we have this plan, but you know, you worked really hard today, so you really deserve it. And so you start to like hear this voice in your head and you realize, oh, that's the pig. So no, 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 no. My, one of my favorites he uses is, <laughs> he says that the pig will say like, we can't start this plan until we read the whole book. So we might as well, you know, just emotionally eat or binge until, until we finish the book. Like it comes up and it's so true, the reasons it comes up with. I remember that back in my days of, you know, going to start a diet. I'm like, well, I'm starting the diet on Monday, so I better just eat everything o over the weekend. The worst is like, oh, well, you already messed up, so you might as well just keep on going. <laughs> and so, Donna, I think IF is actually perfect because it actually falls in line with that, with having an always and a never. And I think if you can create this food plan with these always and nevers, I think that might work. So get that book. Short of that, you can definitely listen to my interview with him because... We talk about all this. He was great. I told him if any of his clients want to, because he wanted to know if like we had like a coaching session or anything. And I was like, no, but I was like, but if any of your clients have any questions for us, like email us and tell us that you sent them and we'll, we'll definitely, you know, answer them. One last thing, Jed mentioned tapping. That also would be a really amazing thing, which tapping is basically, we've talked about it at length, but it's 
where you tap on certain points in your body that activate, it's kind of like acupressure, but it activates the parasympathetic resting state of your nervous system and it reprograms your brain not to have a stress or a fear response to something that you're dealing with. So definitely check that out. I have an episode on it. It's at melanieavalon.com slash tapping. That's with Nick Ortner, who wrote The Tapping Solution. You can get his book, The Tapping Solution, and he also has a tapping app as well. So we'll put links to all of that in the show notes. Are you still tapping, Jen? I was doing it every day. Then I went to the beach, and then I came back and haven't done it since. Oh, wait, that reminds me. Can I tell you one other thing about the break-in? It made me realize just how effective feels is. Oh, my goodness. It, like, literally the break-in happened, and I was like, you know, crying, stressed out, freaking out, worst day ever. I was like, I'm just going to dose up on feel CBD oil. I took, I like way overdosed literally within like third, actually not even that long, like a couple minutes. I was like, I feel so good. I was like laughing. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad to hear it. It's pretty incredible. I went through like half a bottle of feels though. And normally it lasts me like a month. <laughs> yeah. And if any listeners would like the feel CBD oil, it's feels.com slash I podcast for 50% off. Hi friends, are you experiencing chronic stress or anxiety, low mood, maybe insomnia? What about headaches or feeling exhausted or tired and wired? There's a lot going on in our world, so that all may not come as a surprise. But do you know what is a major factor contributing to and exacerbating all of that? Too much blue light. Well, it doesn't actually look blue, but our modern lighting and electronics are filled with a type of light in the blue spectrum, which is high energy. And historically, we would have only been exposed to during the very brightest time of day. But now we're exposed to it 24 seven and it's messing with our circadian rhythm, mood, and even health. We had Andy Mant, the founder of Blue Box, on the podcast for episode 165 to dive deep into all the nitty gritty of this. So definitely check out that episode for all the details. Andy realized just how detrimental overexposure to blue light is, and so he created the company Blue Blocks. Blue Blocks creates blue light blocking glasses, which actually block these specific wavelengths of blue light that you want to block to reduce stress, bring back a sense of calm, and regain your natural energy. They make blue light blocking glasses in every type to fit every occasion, including clear computer glasses, their yellow-tinged mood-boosting summer glow glasses, and their Sleep Plus glasses, which you can put on right before bed and instantly get tired. I'm not kidding. They also come in prescription, and for every pair that you buy, they donate a pair of glasses to someone in need. You can get 15% off their blue light blocking glasses at blueblocks.com with the coupon code IFPODCAST. That's B-L-U-B-L-O-X dot com with the coupon code IFPODCAST for 15% off your order. So that's the blue light that you want to block. But what about the light you want more of? Yep, on the flip side, we've got red light, which is the type of calming, healing light naturally found in the rising and setting sun. It's epic for getting you started fresh in the morning or helping you wind down at night. There's also a type of light called near-infrared, found in daylight, which has profound effects on our cell's mitochondria, which are responsible for generating energy. Near-infrared therapy has been shown in clinical trials to reduce muscle soreness, enhance recovery, increase collagen production in your skin, reduce wrinkles, restore thyroid function, combat depression, and it can even be used for targeted fat burning. It's sort of like the superstar of light. By the way, something I just learned, if you have a Juve device with both red and near-infrared light therapy, don't use a near-infrared at night. Otherwise, it might give you too much of the good type of energy. So use it during the day. 
Red light, on the other hand, is great for morning and evening and during the day. And yep, Juve is that company that makes red and near-infrared light therapy devices that generate the exact wavelengths you need to experience all of these benefits. We and our listeners love them. And you can shop at juve.com slash ifpodcast and use the coupon code ifpodcast to get a free gift from Juve. Again, that's J-O-O-V-V dot com forward slash ifpodcast with the coupon code ifpodcast for a free gift from Juve. So if you want to take charge of your light exposure, get some of those blue light blocking glasses, a red and near infrared light therapy device, and you can start to experience light, your health, and the world in the way you were meant to see it. All right, now back to the show. All right, here is a question from Jenny. The subject is processed foods, and Jenny says, I've been trying to eat better along with IF. Some advice is confusing to me, and I would like clarification. I know I'm supposed to stay away from processed foods, but I get confused when it comes to meat and cheese slash milk products. Unless I kill the animal myself or drink straight from the udder, isn't it all processed? Someone has to make the cheese and cut the meat. Please help me know what I'm doing and what I'm choosing to eat. Thank you for all the work you both do. It keeps me going when I don't want to. I loved this question. Me too. I loved it. It's such a good question. And Jenny, you're right. So in my new book, Fast Feast Repeat, which is available now, you can get it anywhere you like to order books. It's exciting. I think that's the first time we've said that. That it's available now? Yeah. Anyway, in chapter 17, the chapter 17 is called Beans versus Jelly Beans. Does food quality matter? And, you know, one of those is a processed food and one is not. And so the key is the terminology ultra-processed. You know, that's the, the latest terminology, ultra-processed, because you're right. You know, cheese is a, a real food, but it has been processed. You know, I make homemade bread from scratch. I mill the wheat myself, and it's processed. But is it ultra-processed? The answer is no. So I did a lot of research for Fast Feast Repeat, and there's something called the NOVA Food Classification System, and this is a really great way of understanding it. I have a whole chart in the book about the NOVA Classification System, and what we want to avoid is the ultra-processed foods. So, you know, we've got the Group 1 foods. Those are the ones that are just like, you know, like they are. Like it's you went outside and you picked a tomato. That is Group 1. It's unprocessed or minimally processed. Group 2 is processed culinary ingredients. You know, these are things we use in our cooking, such as butter. You know, that is processed ingredients, but it's not, I mean, you know, I could be living on a farm, go milk the cow, churn it, and I've made butter. You know, that's still a natural food. I've churned it, but I've got my butter here. But it's, it's still been processed. That's why it's in group two. Then we've got group three. That's what we call processed foods. You know, the bread that I make myself at home would fit into that category. It's a processed food, but it's made from wheat flour that I ground myself. You know, I put in butter, I put in salt, I put in yeast. It's a very traditional way of making bread. Someone, you know, from 100 years ago, 200 years ago, they would recognize that food. It's not in a package. It's not in a pouch. I made it myself. Category four is what we want to avoid. That's the ultra-processed foods. And this is the simple description of that. I'm going to read it to you. It says, products made with little to no fresh food content with a large quantity of refined and processed additives. 
That's what we want to avoid. So you want to, you know, stick to as many real things as you want. Yes, you know, they're going to be processed. But there's a lot of difference between, I keep going back to the bread that I make. The bread that I make at home versus a loaf of white bread with 50 ingredients in it. And you read those ingredients, you don't even know what they are. And if you wanted to make a recipe following that list, you wouldn't even be able to get those ingredients because they're not even food. So I think the terminology ultra-processed is, you know, we're starting to see that in the science journals. There's a research study that I reference in that chapter as well. And the whole idea is ultra-processed is not what we want. You know, but you go to the grocery store and, gosh, I wish I knew the percentage, but as you go up and down the aisles of the grocery store, most of the things in there really are ultra-processed. Instead, you know, stick to the perimeter, stick to the produce section, you know, stick to things with minimal ingredients and the ingredients that you recognize. So they may be processed, but the health benefits of the more natural, quote, processed foods are so much better than the ultra-processed foods. Have you been hearing that terminology, Melanie, ultra-processed? I have. I wasn't familiar with the different definitions. So what was the definition of tier three? Tier three, the processed foods, they say foods made from a combination of fresh foods and culinary items. So it's like you're adding things together from group one and group two. You know, like last night, I made homemade pizza from scratch. I ground the wheat into flour, (laughs) made my pizza crust from scratch. I put yeast in there and I let it rise and then I made the crust and I, you know, cut up vegetables. Those are ingredients from, you know, one. So it had culinary ingredients, processed culinary ingredients. Well, so for tier two culinary ingredients, that's oils, butter, flour, sugar, things like that. Those are processed culinary ingredients. In group one, the unprocessed or minimally processed foods, those are things like fresh fruits and vegetables, whole grains, milk, eggs, meat. So basically what I like to eat. (laughs) Yeah, you're probably a lot of group one. It's actually what we were talking about at the beginning when you were like talking about my definition of paleo. Okay, so maybe your definition of paleo is group one on the Nova scale. Because group two is, oh, this is a fun conversation. Okay, so group two is... I'm glad I knew that this would be good. I said, yeah, group two is... You cook with them. It's your oils, your butter, your flour, your sugar, your honey, your salt, things like that. And that typically, in like a quote paleo template, it'll include things like oils, honey. Okay, so that's all right. You can add that in. And then so group three is when you combine that together. Like homemade bread. Cheese would actually be an example of group three. Wouldn't it be group two? No. Why? And I did not make this up. I'm just reporting it from the Nova scale. Well, because cheese has had more done to it. The culinary ingredients have been added to the... It's not just... If it's just cultured... I guess, okay, technically, yes, that kind of cheese would... Are they assuming, like, it's like American cheese or something? No, they're not. No, no, American cheese would not be there. Basically, all right, here we go. Okay, I'm going to read you. This is what it says. This is group three, the processed. These foods have been made by combining items from group one and group two. Processes include a wide variety of preservation and or cooking methods, 
including fermentation. Oh, so if it's fermented, it goes to group three. I did not make this scale up. I'm just reporting it to you. But yeah, the NOVA food classification system. Yep, they consider that group three. But see, you have to understand, they're not saying that group three is bad or wrong or avoid these. These are good foods. These are traditional foods, but they have been processed by humans more so than I just milked the cow. And then group four is when they add in all the the other stuff. It's when they start adding in preservatives, stabilizers, dyes, artificial flavors. If you couldn't go to the grocery store and find that ingredient yourself, and it's got a bunch of things like that in there, it's going to be ultra-processed, packaged, things like that. Although canned goods can actually be in group three, the processed category, you know, like like a can of peas. It's really interesting that they put like fermentation into group three and not group two. Well, they did. So it's kind of like group two is, like you said, like the culinary ingredients. And then when there's another layer of preparation or processing or combination. So it's like one of those two moves it to group three. It does. Right. So what Jenny is talking about is group three foods, like making the cheese, you know, <laughs> that's, that's group three. And that is processed. So instead of thinking it as processed foods are bad, think of it as ultra processed foods are something we should avoid. But foods are going to be processed. And I loved reading this so much because we've we've struggled with that. Because, you know, when we say avoid processed foods, and what about yogurt? Yogurt's been processed. So they would put yogurt in group three, right? Well, or it could be group four if it had other stuff in it. Well, right. There you go. See, yogurt could be group three or group four. Avoid group four yogurt. Eat group three yogurt. Avoid the ultra processed ones where it has like, you know, 20 ingredients in there. And you're like, what even is that? That's not what you want. And so your goal is just to always make sure that it's made from real things. This is so interesting because it. so if I'm taking that scale, which this is like really loving this conversation, if I take that scale and apply it through the template of what when wine, which is my book, which stands for lose weight and feel great with paleo style meals, intermittent fasting and wine, or that's the subtitle through that template for people who follow a more quote paleo approach. So group one would obviously be green light with the exceptions of, you know, certain food categories like grains and such. But group two is things like oils, honey, stuff like that, which I talk about being quote paleo, but like I always think it's best to err on the side of whole foods when possible. Group three, there could be quote paleo versions of that because like I have recipes for like paleo, you know, cake or paleo, you know, it's like creating like a paleo, paleo recipes that would fall into that. Right. A paleo recipe is group three, but you don't have any group four going on in your recommendations. So through that scale for the template that I would encourage, which I know now we're being (laughs) confusing because she's saying there's, you know, so much different advice, but Jen and I are mostly on the same page. Mine is just a slightly more quote paleo version. So like in my version, one would be always, you know, great with the exception, like I said, of grains. Well, now there's the dairy thing, but I would be like encouraging group one, group two, but not going heavy on it. And then group three, depending on what ingredients you're using and not making it a staple. So see, this is very exciting to me, Melanie, because you know how I keep saying that people need to read Fast, Feast, Repeat. Even if you think you know everything, you're going to learn something new. You just learned something new. I did. I know. I learned so much. I mean, I really dug deep into every one of these topics. And so, you know, like the chapter on mindset, 
you may have, you know, I had a blog post about mindset that was like a tiny little baby post. It had a few little things in there. But I have a whole chapter in the book about mindset, which has the research even beyond that of belief and, you know, talks about placebo and the research on that and, and how important our thoughts are and so many new things. Even if you think you know everything about intermittent fasting and how to eat and what you're eating, and yeah, I promise you will learn something new reading this book. So get it today. Now, well, I still have to read it. Yeah, Melanie has it, hasn't read it yet. Now you really have to come on my show because now I definitely know that we'll have a lot to talk about. Well, there's so much in here. I mean, I learned stuff writing it because I didn't just, you know, sit back and rehash, delay, don't deny. No. And I dug in and I, I went in, you know, there's so many studies that I talked about, new studies, studies that were new to me, and I looked for them, you know, the new research, the new science, but more than just about fasting, because the first part is about fasting, fast. And then the second part is all about food, feast. <laughs> That's how it's organized. And, you know, how do you decide what food works best for you? So I talk about the whole idea of bio-individuality. Oh, 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 can I rant about that for a second? Mm-hmm. The whole idea that we're all different when it comes to what foods work for us. And, you know, we've been talking about, you know, genetics. You know, you you may have a, a certain genetic, you know, maybe you're better with lower fat approach or maybe you're better with a lower carb approach. But Wow, it's raining. <laughs> yeah, it's raining here. There's some controversy to that, to whether, you know, that actually works, whether people can use their genetics to determine what foods work well for them. So I've been experimenting more with eating based on my DNA recommendations after we had the conversation here on the podcast about mastering diabetes and how low fat is really low fat. And then I realized that's what my DNA recommendations were. So then I was doing some just reading about it. I was Googling it because I love to learn more about it. And I, they had done a study that they claim debunked the whole idea of eating for your DNA and I wanted to punch the computer. <laughs> That's how mad I was because they used the DNA to predict whether people would be better on low fat or low carb. And then they did the study with them. I can't remember the number right off, though. But the amount of fat, like the low fat people, they were not really eating low fat. And the people who they claimed were doing low carb, they were eating over 100 grams of carbohydrates a day and calling that low carb. Well, guess what? There was no difference. Well, they weren't really doing it. So I bet the low fat wasn't even remotely. No, it wasn't low fat. It certainly wasn't 15% fat like they talk about in Mastering Diabetes. So they determined that eating for your genetic profile didn't work by putting people on diets that were neither low fat nor low carb. <laughs> and I was just screaming at the computer. My husband's like, calm it down. But I'm like, look at this. He's like, I don't even care. I'm like, no, I'm going to have to tell Melanie. She'll get it. That's really frustrating. It made me so frustrated. So they're like, nope, it doesn't work. And then, of course, you can find all these articles that are like, yeah, that doesn't work. Yeah, I'll say for listeners, if you ever see a study talking about low fat or low carb, I think the low carb needs to be at least like probably 30 grams net carbs or less. I would say so, too. And low fat. Probably a similar kind of number, really. Similar, yeah, 10, 15% fat of diet, probably. So anyway, it was so frustrating. And there's reasons for that. It's because if you go above, even if it's just a, a little bit, you can potentially, most likely, completely short circuit every single metabolic, like enzymatic change that you needed to happen to get the benefits will not happen. 
Right. So the whole theory of why that was better, you're not getting it because you're not really doing it. Yeah. It like literally makes it like not applicable. Well, it's like the people who said they were doing fasting, but then they were having, you know, whatever, and they weren't really fasting clean. And they're like, yeah, fasting didn't work for me. Well, were you really fasting? No, you were having creamer. So it's the same kind of an idea. Yeah. I wanted to say one last thing for Jenny's question. Okay. Because I thought it was so interesting because she was saying that she gets confused when it comes to meat. And she was talking about like, unless she, you know, kills the animal herself. So it was like, I'm wondering if she thinks like, is she asking like, is a steak processed or is she asking like, is, you know, deli meat processed? Yeah. Like a, a steak would, would not, would not be. It's, Yeah. I wasn't familiar with that scale, but when I was just thinking about the question, the way I thought about it was there's basically food, you know, that, that's clearly unprocessed that hasn't even been touched. Oh, here's the thing. <laughs> I actually do want to say this caveat. So some foods in their completely unprocessed state, we can't eat them. So that's like grains, actually. Yeah, you got to do something with the grain. You don't just go out there and eat the raw grain. Yeah. Yeah. That's the reason I think I wanted to make that caveat because I, I felt, you know, because I'm saying, oh, category one, but not you know, like grains. So that's because grains actually require processing. So does that scale put grains in category one? Well, whole grain. Well, all right, this is what they say exactly. This is group one. They call it unprocessed or minimally processed foods. Okay, so actually grinding my wheat is actually going to count here because it says these foods are the edible parts of plants, the seeds, fruits, leaves, stems, or roots, and animals meat, dairy, eggs. And foods fit into this category if they have had inedible or unwanted parts removed or if they have been crushed or dried for the purpose of preservation storage or to make them safe or edible. So that would count. Grinding the wheat, it's still all of it. Unprocessed or minimally processed, they call that group one. What about like oats? It doesn't have every food listed. So you kind of have to say, what would I think that this would be? Like if you So like rice. Well, there could be rice that's group one, but then I think there's also could be rice that's group three or even group four, really. But it just depends on how much they do to it. Like, for example, once my flour went from I just ground it up in my wheat mill and used the whole thing, I could call that group one, right? But if I got, you know, the white flour that has had the bran all separated out, it's still... They haven't added a bunch of stuff to it. I don't know. That's tricky. Now I'm going to have to think about that. I don't know. We can, save, we can save this for when I interview you. Don't overcomplicate it, everybody. You could make yourself nuts. Really, the whole point is this. Have they added a bunch of stuff to it and it's no longer recognizable? That's what you want to avoid. Like I said, I wasn't familiar with the scale, but what I was just thinking, which is I was thinking of a more general overview, was basically there's food that we can just walk up and eat. So it's clearly not processed. And then we as a species have methods of food preparation and cooking. And we also have methods of processing. And so I don't consider methods of traditional food preparation and cooking. So like heating it up or even for me, like fermenting or, you know, things like that for like meat. So like cutting it and then like grilling a steak or I don't consider that processing. I consider processing when you are changing the food so that the food itself no longer exhibits really the properties of that original food. So like if you cook, you know, 
vegetables, yes, it changes the breakdown of the proteins or the, maybe the fiber, things like that. Or if you cook animal foods, it, well, it's really changing out, you know, the fats and the proteins and things like that, but it's not changing like the actual, like, what is that food? It's still meat. It's when you like add in other things or go in and remove parts of it that I consider it processing. So that's why I would actually consider, you know, making flour. If you're removing something, I would consider it processing. Yeah, I do think that that white flour probably would go in the ultra processed because they've taken out all the, the whole grain part of it. Yeah, just my like random casual perspective is I consider processing where you are adding something to it or you are removing something from it. Although, I mean, I don't know, devil's advocate, when you peel a banana. In that perspective, you don't eat the peel anyway. No, you don't. So I would say like removing or adding to the edible portion. Okay. Yeah, like when you're taking out the, the bran from the, the wheat flour and turning it into the pro- more processed. But anyway, the terminology I want people to focus on, don't worry so much about anything. I really think if you think back to your great, 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 great grandparents, if they could have made it before electricity... It's probably okay. Like if you think about it, for example, like we started cooking meat, for example, for a few different reasons. One being it was in order to, you know, get rid of pathogens in the meat to make it safer. So it's not like you're processing the meat. You're just doing something to the meat to make it safer for the human system. I did learn a really interesting fact. Did you know that there are some ancient cultures that like with dairy, because I was researching this a little bit specifically like they would make cheese and butter and stuff like that because they would not drink fresh milk because I don't know if they knew this was the reason, but it has something to do with the hormones in the milk. So like after you do this quote processing, you know, making it into cheese and butter, it gets rid of the potential problems of the hormones when milk is like fresh milk made to like nurture a animal. (laughs) I thought that was really interesting. That is interesting. You know, so many of the things I think the book Deep Nutrition, is that the one that talks about, you know, so many of the things with food? So many people with their traditional ways of eating, they were doing these things and they didn't even, they couldn't have scientifically told you why. But when we go back and look at it, now we can figure out scientifically why, but they just kind of figured out to do those things. And it worked really well for their bodies. It's doing something to the food to make the food healthier for a body in some way. That's why I think like I don't have a problem with like fermenting or things like that. Oh, I definitely don't have a problem with it. I yeah, I don't want anybody to think that that Category 3 processed is bad and that they should avoid it. You know, we can make ourselves crazy. I would make my own scale. That would be a little bit different. But I like that scale. There's some things in there I probably would make differently, too. What I like about that scale is it helps us to understand the fourth category, which is the one we really need to worry about, ultra-processed. We definitely are on the same page about that one. <laughs> yeah. that's That's really what you need to worry about because it's impossible. I mean, okay, I'm not going to say impossible. For me, it would not be a livable way to live to never eat anything from category two or category three. And even category one, you know, know, maybe someone's milled the wheat, you know, or chopped it up somehow or removed the inedible parts. So I can't just live in category one only. I'm going to be category one, category two, category three, And heck, I'm even going to eat some Category 4, but that's not the main part of what I'm eating. Yeah. And, like, for me, my dream world is Category (laughs) 1. Like, for the happiest I was probably with food was when I was just eating, like, fish and fruit and cucumbers. 
Well, that's certainly, you know, a very good, easy way to live. But if you like those foods and you can just, you don't have to worry, right? Actually, the only di- the only difference now is I eat, I have MCT oil, which that would actually be category probably three. I don't know. I think MCT might possibly be a two because it's a, it's an oil. It just requires like, it's more processed than like olive oil. Yeah, it is. Here's a study that I I cited in Fast Feast Repeat, and the name of the the study is Ultra-Processed Diets Cause Excess Calorie Intake and Weight Gain, an Impatient Randomized Controlled Trial of Ad Libitum Food Intake. So it was a, a 2019 study that talked about how when people are eating mostly on that ultra-processed side, basically people are eating more. Because you don't have your satiety signals, and you keep eating and eating and eating, and also your body can access the energy in those foods more easily because they've already been broken down for you. And so there's so many reasons why that's not the way that our bodies are healthy. The chemicals, of course, and there are so many things about those foods. But You know what something else Glenn said about that that I had not heard before, really? He was saying that actually the feast signal itself can perpetuate binging or overeating because it signals to the body. Like if you look at it from like historical perspective of like the feasting would be time when you are supposed to be like eating all the things to stock up for the winter. So like reaching that state of feasting can actually encourage you to even eat more because it's like you're on the train of like, oh, this is feast time must eat more. And so I think that could happen as well with these processed foods, you know, because it's like, oh, the processed foods, yeah, they don't turn off the signal. Yeah, but at the same time, they also, they tell your body, like, massive amount of calories, and it might be tying into this evolutionary thing where when we are exposed to massive amounts of calories like that, we naturally want to, like, hoard it all because that would be the thing to do back then. Well, and I think the key is to give yourself grace when this happens and realize that it's not because you're bad or you're weak. It's just that your body is responding to these things in the way that bodies respond. And so it's not your fault if you overdo the Doritos, for example. He also said, because he used to be a consultant for companies that sort of like relate to this. And he said that one of the companies told him that they saw the biggest increase in sales when they took the money that they were using to I guess, add vitamins and stuff. And they instead put it towards the advertising. So like made it look more like colorful and sound better. And like sales skyrocketed because it made it look like, he was talking about how like colors and stuff to us signal like nutrition because like in, in nature, like different colors, like berries and fruits and funfetti. I know, I know. It signals our brain nutrition and and like good and nutrients. But then especially in this ultra processed form, there's not the nutrients. It's literally the worst of everything because it's like we see it and we're like our body thinks, yes, nutrition, give me. And But then it gets nothing. Right. And then your body's like, that wasn't it. That wasn't. Yeah. But it's so it just has stores it, you know. And so it's not your fault if you're trapped in that cycle and and your body is wanting you to eat more and more and more. But as you move away from the ultra processed foods, you actually get full faster when you're eating, you know, for high nutrition. And you might even actually be eating significantly less and you'll get fuller faster. But your body's happy. Yep. Well, such a great discussion. I loved it. And I love talking about the new book. Yeah, so we'll have to schedule you. 
now that we had this little teaser conversation, I am sure that we'll have a lot to talk about. For listeners, Jen's like, what are we going to talk about? I know. I'm like, what? I'm like, you have no idea. We have, I haven't even read it yet, but I know we'll, we'll have a lot. There's a lot in there. It's really got a lot in there. I'm very, very proud of this book. I worked hard on it. Trust me. I want everybody to buy your book. I do too. <laughs> I really need, I wrote this book for really like if Facebook exploded, which it might, Facebook might explode. <laughs> Everything, people are having a hard time on Facebook right now. It's very tense. But if Facebook exploded completely and no one ever used it again and it was gone, I would like this book to be able to like teach you what to do and you could just follow the book and that would be it. Everything you need to know is in this book. Every question that people have asked on Facebook, because I've heard them all multiple times a day. I think this is why we'll always have books, you know? We need books. I can only think of one question that's not in the book, and I purposefully didn't put it in because it was racy. And I don't mean race like 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 a race, but I mean like racy like naughty. Oh, was it about sex drive or something? Well, it was about bedroom activities and whether they break the fast. Sorry, I didn't... <laughs> I did not need to say that out loud, but that's the only frequently asked question that I didn't put in the book because I just refused. People ask that a lot? Yes, yes. And in the day before we had post-approval, I'd be like teaching school, okay, back in the day before I retired, before we had post-approval, I'd be teaching school, trying to, you know, live a life, and someone would drop that question in, of course, because we had no post-approval, and people would freak out and send me messages and leave the group and say, I thought this was a good group. And now you're, and I'm like, oh my God, people. <laughs> and then, you know, our, our standard answer to that question, in case you're wondering, is don't even worry about that. <laughs> don't even ask. If, if you're having to make decisions like that, just, just you know. <laughs> Sometimes you don't worry about whether something breaks the fast. You live your life. But I did not put that in the book. That's literally the only question I did not put in the book was that one. It's kind of like with the whole the break-in thing. Does your family have like a, a code word thing? No. I realized we probably should have one. Basically, where it's like a word where like if something happens and somebody, you know, kidnaps you and is making you pretend like everything's okay so that you can let your family know something's wrong. But I made the mistake of Googling safe word. I was like, oh, that's not the correct. Oh, <laughs> don't look that up. And then I was like, I was like, what am I Googling? I could not figure out how to like phrase it. Family code phrase. <laughs> but... Anyway, so now everyone knows the one question that's not answered in Fast Feast Repeat, but really everything else is. The things people ask 100 times a day. Well, we'll put links to all of that in the show notes. Again, the show notes will be at ifpodcast.com slash episode 167. If you'd like to submit your own questions to the show, you can directly email questions at ifpodcast.com or you can go to ifpodcast.com. You can submit questions there. Definitely, definitely want to subscribe to us in iTunes. Then you will get the shows downloaded automatically. And you can follow us on Instagram. We are the IF Podcast. I'm at Melanie Avalon and Jen is at Jen Stevens. Yeah, I think that's it. Anything else from you, Jen, before we go? Nope, that's it. All right. We will talk to you next week. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember that everything discussed on the show is not medical advice. We're not doctors. You can also check out our other podcasts, Intermittent Fasting Stories and the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. Theme music was composed by Leland Cox. See you next week.